Thanks for joining us for the Long Island Sound Podcast. Each week we explore new music and dive deeper with the artists and their stories behind the music. Please subscribe and rate and review us wherever you stream this podcast. Here's your host, Steve Yusko. We've got a really special episode for you today. I handed over the microphone to Bill Herman of Paradiddle Records. And Bill interviews two guys, a guy named Tom and Steve of Nurma, that do themed shows. And I'm just going to leave that as a bit of a mystery. Hey, check out this song. And then I'm going to hand the microphone over to Bill Herman. I'm still in love 
Hey everybody, I'm so excited about the group and the guests that we have today, but most importantly is the guest host that I have today, which is Bill Herman from Paradiddle Records. I've interviewed Bill in the past with the Hank Williams Uncovered CD, which was fantastic, and I came up with the idea of, man, it's time to hand over the Long Island Sound microphone to uh, another professional. So I want to introduce you to Bill Herman, and take it away, Bill. Uh, let me start by introducing our two guests. We have Tom Ryan and Steve Prisco. They are two of the founding members of NERMA, but they are also uh, very talented musicians in their own right. Uh, I've had long careers. So let's start by introducing them, talking a little bit about them. Uh, Steve, why don't we start with you? Like so many people in our age group, Steve. Uh, I understand you saw the light when you saw the Beatles. That's 100% so, correct. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, do you remember seeing that show? Do you still have that memory? Because to me, that's one of my earliest childhood memories. It's ingrained in my memory. I remember the day. I remember where I was. And I remember, you know, um, turning to my mother and saying uh, something like, is this something you can do? You know, is this like, could I do this? You know this and she said yeah I, I guess so and at that time I didn't you know I wasn't playing I might have been playing trumpet maybe no probably I was too young to even be doing that yet in grade school but it was just defined I said that's what I'm gonna do yeah just like so many of us so in the early 80s uh, you were in a band the Fabians right that was a uh, like a punk rock band yeah and you were and you were playing places like Max's Kansas City CBGB's the Peppermint Lounge right absolutely what yeah. was it like playing those those are legendary places what was it like playing those places oh it was a <laughs> it was a lot of fun <laughs> you know um because like you know uh, um just for the record for everybody I, I did not um really um become as uh famous as the Beatles so <laughs> but I what? But, yeah I know but I I had a passion for for music you know and, and from the time I was 14 uh, I was concerts 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 all the time you know and uh, so it was kind of cool because I was going to these rooms to see bands play you know and then to go have a chance to play them was, was uh, just a blast you know and it was a uh, it actually was the late 70s, early 80s for that band, so the whole New York scene was pretty vibrant at the time. Yeah, it was a pretty crazy scene around that time. Mm -hmm. um, now, after that, you formed the Mosquitoes, correct? And they released an EP that was then, This Is Now. And if I'm not mistaken, the Monkees recorded that title track. That must have been really cool to have the Monkees record one of your songs. It, it was very cool, but it also uh, was the end of the band. <laughs> so it had a double-edged sword there. 
them recording the song and the band, or was that just just happened at the same time? No, it, it definitely contributed to it. You know, we had a uh, very talented, he still is, talented singer-songwriter in the, leading that band. And uh, he wrote that song. And so, um, he, you know, he wanted to kind of continue that path. And uh, it wasn't the path that we were on, so to speak. So, gotcha. it was a typical gotcha. story. Mm-hmm. No band lasts forever, it seems. Uh, no. Unless you're the Rolling Stones, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Can't seem to kill them off, but uh, but after that, I think you had the Scofflaws, the blue, yes, the Scofflaws, the Blue Beats, uh, the Purple Gang, mm-hmm. um, but you also organized the Elvis Show, which was a benefit concert that went on for like twenty five years. Yeah, that came out of the, uh, the the Purple Gang, which we were a rockabilly band. And uh, short story, one day we I was we had a gig on Elvis's birthday. And we were playing a local bar like we always did to like, you know, uh, yeah, we, we we had a little crowd. But I, I reached out to all the singers on the, the local rockabilly band and said, hey, we're going to do an Elvis thing. Come on down, come up, sing a song. It was a lot of fun. And it also uh, turned out to be a little bit of a magic trick because, you know, I asked about, I don't know, 10, 15 guys. And they all bought their friends. And the next thing I know, we have a room full of people. So I said, we're going to do this again next year. And just maybe I'll ask 30 people to sing and see what happens. And uh, it was a blast. So we decided to make it a charity event. And we just uh, just kept going up and up and up and up. And uh, we sold, we did iMac in Huntington for three years in a row. I think there were about 600 seats, you know, selling it out. It was great. So I take it you're a big Elvis fan. You know, it, it was... Um, Kind of just a little bit of osmosis. I have two older brothers. They're 10 years older than me. So they were teenagers in the 50s. So there are a few Elvis albums kicking around the house. And in our age group we're talking about, there were the Elvis on the 430 movie. But I really didn't really, you know, I wasn't getting his vibe so much. Um, I started a guitar lessons. And I, it was a guy from Nashville who had moved across the street. And um, I had... Um, just got my first guitar and I bought a Young Rascal songbook and Gene Cornish had said on the back that his favorite guitar player was Scotty Moore. I had no idea who Scotty Moore was. So the guy asked me, so Steve, what's your favorite guitar player? And I said, Scotty Moore. <laughs> so all my guitar <laughs> lessons were Elvis songs. <laughs> so kind of got ingrained on me and, uh, you know, as I started to explore him and understand more about music and, and the bands that I was, you know, some of the bands that I definitely started liking led back to him. So, uh, yeah. So, no, I, 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 I ended up being a, 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 a fairly big fan. I, I, I think he is, you know, I think that's where it all started. For me, that's the big boom, Elvis. Uh, and I guess around 2005 was when the Blackguards were formed, if I'm not mistaken. You and Tom, uh, Rich Unbach, uh, Mick Hargraves, correct? It eventually, that became the lineup. There were a few steps along the way there, but, uh, you know, before we actually ever played a gig, um, that was that was the first time band when we went out, yeah. yeah. Is that I where had, you and Tom first met? Yeah, yep, absolutely. I had given up. I had uh, about 2000, I guess, yeah, about the year, I got married in 2000, and I was just kind of done. You know, I was still in the Blue Beach at that time. We were playing a lot in the city. And uh, I said, you know, I'm kind of done with this, I think, for a while. It had been a long run. You know, I had been in a band since I was like 15. So um, 
but then I missed it a lot. And I didn't know what how I was going to get back in, really. I'm not an audition kind of guy. Uh, you know, I, I didn't know what... Then a mutual friend of Tom and I's, uh, someone I had known for years and that was actually playing with Tom in this, the version of the band that became the Blaggards. She called me and said, hey, I've got these guys, you know, you want to come down? And so I said, yeah, okay, let me see. And it was literally right down the street, too. <laughs> and I went down, to, went down to Tom's house. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was fun. I mean, I knew that I had, uh, you know, found a band, but I also knew I found some, uh, some good friends. I think that was kind of when our pants first started to cross. You guys did a track on uh, Kinks Uncovered. Right. Mm -hmm. And... One of the memorable things about that was that we got a cease and desist order, if you remember, because you were using the name The Blaggards. We do, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm actually very proud of that because that was a band from Texas. So yeah. that meant that, that we were reaching out to, you know, out in New York, we were getting across the country and, uh, mm -hmm. and we were told to cease and desist. That was, that was great fun to get that. There's another thing, you got uh, something coming up with the mosquitoes at Arlene's Grocery. What's that about? We had some uh, fans of that band. Uh, you know, we started a big crowd in Northport, and uh, these people had remained fans for all, <laughs> for a long time. And uh, the band was, we, we really uh, became a good band, if I say so myself, a live band. And um, Vance, the songwriter, is a, um, and was a, uh, a good songwriter and a great singer. We only put out one uh, official EP, vinyl EP, back in the day. And none of us really loved it. it and our fans were kind of disappointed. Uh, it didn't really kind of represent who we were to them. They were always clamoring for us to put something out. We had done a few other, you know, um, semi-professional recordings. But finally, the uh, last year, about or maybe two years ago now, a couple of these fans said, can we take the lead on this and try to put out a compilation and they we managed to scrape up everything on the album i mean on this compilation that came out 47 songs or something was sourced from cassettes we couldn't find any of the master tape we found the master tapes for one recording session but we were lucky to have uh, uh, lots of tapes and lots of re studio recordings and lots of uh, rehearsal recordings and uh, gigs that were recorded some some really good board recordings and they 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 worked it out they picked the songs they uh, this guy mike Fortel came in to to clean them up and uh they put it out as a cd and uh you know i don't i don't even know <laughs> i don't know who buys cds anymore to be quite honest but they, they finally got it on the streaming services and uh i'm just glad it's out there so they're holding a record release party at arlene's we're not playing together as the Mosquitoes. Um, Vance, who was in the band, lead singer, he's uh, actually in uh, Herman's Hermits now. He's with Peter Noon. Really? Oh, yeah. He's been with them for uh, now probably over 10 years, if not even, even longer. So he's got a gig in West Virginia that night. And uh, But a couple bands, the our original drummers, Sons bands, uh, they're pretty young in their early 20s, are going to uh, back back us up for a bunch of songs and uh, we have a bunch of different singers and then this band called the Headless Horsemen or members of the Headless Horsemen I should say who are guys from the, the garage scene in New York at our time in the 80s guys from the Vipers and the Trifles and a few other bands they're going to also back us up on a few songs it's a very loose night but it should be fun all right Tom let's uh let's talk about you I know you're uh itching to 
to jump in here. <laughs> so what was what was yeah, your cattle? I, I got to drop in one thing real quick because Steve talked about that dig at Arlene's Grocery, but the date is October 21. Just want to make sure that that's known. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so what was your catalyst for getting into music? Well, you, I swear to God, it was the same day. That's Sunday in 1964 in January. I'm laying on the floor, and you know, on the TV, on a black and white TV with my parents. And I'm like, this is the coolest thing in the universe. You know, my, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's for our generation, that was basically seismic. And it affected me the same way. I immediately wanted to play an instrument, pretty bad toy guitar. And I was pretty terrible at it. Then I got a toy drum set and I destroyed it in a day. Now I'm, I'm only five at that point, you know, I'm 64, I'm five years old. But when my parents saw me destroy the drum set, that meant something. To this day, I still destroy drum sets, I suppose. So were you a Ringo fan or just a Beatles fan? Oh, I'm, I'm a Beatles fan, but that doesn't preclude me from being a Ringo fan. I have nothing but respect right. for Ringo. I mean, of course I do. Well, everybody has their favorite Beatle, you know what I mean? Everyone, you were either like a Paul or a John guy or, I'm, or I'm a John guy. I'm a John okay. guy. Now, besides being an accomplished drummer, you're also an author and a disc jockey. So in 1995, in 1995, you published American Hit Radio, a history of popular singles from 1955 to the present. And that was actually called the New Testament of Rock and Roll Writing. What inspired you to write that book? An undying love for pop music. I had been listening to pop i mean you could probably name a song title and i'll name the artist on anything that was released between 1955 and 1985 maybe even up up until the 90s and with that sort of a i, I had it ingrained in my head and i wasn't very busy my, my job wasn't busy then at all and in fact i thought i might end up needing a new job so writing sounded like a I don't know, a challenge, but something to see if I could do it. I had never written anything but a business letter before in my entire life. So it was a bit of a reach. I was amazed when I had all these different um, people coming back to me and asking if they could take the book. I, I there was to this day, I can't believe it because I'm writing another one and, I, and it's very difficult to sell. But that one, man, it just was like hotcakes. It was weird. Well, and if, and if I'm not mistaken, you also wrote the parrot head companion and the jimmy buffett oh, trivia now book. i'm going to use the f word you know okay here's what happened it's very easy to explain when the first book came out and it was doing reasonably well my agent came to me and was making me offers and the first offer that i got was to write a book on aretha franklin and i'm like oh i'd love to do that that'd be fantastic definitely put my name in the hat got back to me and he said yeah you lost it somebody else got it but I have this other thing on Jimmy Buffett, and if you take it, guaranteed money, guaranteed publishing. Now, with the first book, there was nothing guaranteed, and it was very hard to get it to the point where I knew it was going to get published. Be getting an offer to do something even that I wasn't fond of was amazing. I mean, I, I, I was, I would. The money was in my pocket once I said yes, and I knew it was going to get published. And what was even better is that after I wrote the book, they told me it was too, book, too big. 
and they made me edit 50% of my content out because they wanted a trivia book, you see. And I don't, you know, I write, I write this. I don't write this. So they took more than 50% of the content out of it. And they published the trivia book. And I asked my agent, I said, try to do something with all this extra stuff, all this detritus. I've got 300 pages almost written. So they put it out again to see if we could get somebody who would uh, like bid for it. And the exact same publishing company offered me the exact same amount again to take the stuff that I edited out of the first book. So I got paid twice for something that I didn't really want to do in the first place. So, all right, let's go back to the uh, American hit radio. So is that kind of what drove you to your weekly show? You're on WHPC. WHPC, it's since 1998, I think. I'm not sure. What happened was there was a DJ there that got a hold of the book and he called me up and asked me if I'd come on and be a guest. And so I did. I, you know, you don't ever say no to promotions, right? Here I am. <laughs> but uh, after I made my first appearance with him, we went out for a drink afterward and he said, why don't you come back next week? So I did and we did it again. And then he was like, you know, why don't you keep coming back? It was strange because the guy's show was originally a political show. His name was John Gomez. And uh, I just ended up becoming sort of like, you know, he was Johnny Carson and I was the other guy. You know, I, I, I open up my mouth every now and then and laugh at his jokes and stuff. But eventually he left the job. And when he left, the station was like quick to ask me if I'd want to take his place. And that was that. It was very simple. I said yes. And then, you know, one one hour gig turned into two because they offered me an extra slot. So now I'm Wednesday and Friday from five o'clock to six o'clock on 90.3 WHPC. And um, it's also obviously it's on our website, American Hit network.com i've got a uh, bill i'm not kidding if you ever go to, check out americanhitnetwork.com there are about 800 one-hour radio shows that you can choose whatever you want to hear about albums in their entirety with me with me talking to interrupt them or the history stuff that we do it's a lot it's an awful lot yeah i have checked it out it's a great site and uh and you have some great shows there that's for sure um, Thank and you. Doesn't Thank your you. doesn't your wife Heidi help you with that? A hundred percent. In fact, it's the show's only gotten better since Heidi came along. I like everything else in my life, um, it's just really the way that things worked out. You know, Heidi and I, you know, started dating in two thousand and two, and the radio show was still pretty young then. But any Steve could tell you anybody anybody who knows me could tell you that there's uh, everything that we do we do together everything Nerma the radio show our job you know I gave her my business she runs it you know um, yeah everything and everything's gotten better because I've done that great it's great to have a woman like that in your life it's uh, that's oh for it sure. is believe me it is it's not easy to find somebody, didn't you also didn't you also do a little work with Fox TV and uh, News 12 as an entertainment uh, on-air personality it's weird but it's true i uh i kind of blanked so much of that out of my life because i don't do any tv anymore when i when we started getting really active with nerma um i felt more like i was being myself rather than being uh, I, 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 I don't know what, what tv wanted me to be 
and I was very, very much manipulated on a lot of the channels, especially, uh, quite honestly, on Fox. I, I showed up as somebody who was meant to be speaking about music, because that's what I do after all. And overnight, they turned me into a movie critic. And that was bizarre. I did that for about a month or two until I felt like, you know, this is such a weird lie that I, I don't want to get out of being like delegated to being somebody who was caught, you know, basically faking knowledge about a, a genre when I actually I, I know a lot about music. I, I know nothing about movies. It was bizarre that I did it. But I was on TV for about three months, six months on Fox talking about movies. I, I think the most amazing thing is that you pointed out that Fox actually lied. I mean, who would have ever thought? Um, <laughs> who, who knew? Let's talk about the Hombres. Now, I know a little bit about that band. Uh, that was a band that uh, put out two records with Levon Helm as the drummer. Well, then you did the Odd, uh, Oddfellows Rest in 2014, where you were the drummer. Uh, and you were basically filling the shoes of Levon Helm. How did that feel? Can you imagine? I mean, no, I can't. It, as a drummer, you're a drummer, Bill. I mean, you can imagine, uh, and to some extent, anyway. I can just how, how that would be impossible to wrap your head around it. I knew all of the guys, not particularly well at the time. I knew I knew Russ Seeger very well. Chris James came in with me, so I, I, I knew Kim, of course, as well. But I didn't know, you know, Paul and Mike very well. And they were the guys that basically brought Levon in. Paul ended up coming onto my radio show at some point because he was putting out solo records. When I got to know them, I was like, I started talking it up. Like, you know, why don't you guys put out another record? It's, it's one of the few things, I think it's one of the most... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, most, I'm more proud of that than, almost, than just about anything that I've done because there's three songwriters that are fantastic and the material that they wrote was absolutely amazing to me. I got a chance to go into the studio and they were allowing me to do a lot of the production work, which made me feel like, like, like it was somehow justified for me to be there because drumming is drumming, you know, there's a lot more to it than just, you know, keeping the beat. And I, and I wanted to have that piece of it about where I'd be able to make this thing into something that was uh, valid, that would, have, that, that would last more than just a, a year or two. I think it has. Paul and Mike are doing a, a pretty rare gig together, um, I think a week from Friday in Centerport. Yeah, I saw yeah. that, yeah. yeah. It should be a good one. Yeah. I it's have nice got to, to see be Paul. there. It, it's nice to see Paul getting back into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been a while yeah. for Paul. Paul had, a, had an accident on a Long Island Railroad train that derailed and it messed up yeah, it messed yeah. him up pretty badly for a long time. But uh, he's he's recovering and he's on his way back. Great songwriter, man. All right. He's a great songwriter. Yeah. And a good and a good all around good guy too. So uh, yeah. to to Nerma. Okay. Oh so the New York Roots Music Association and Saturday Night Social Club. That's a mouthful. Heidi added that. So all right, well Although I think your next show's on a Friday, but we won't, you know. First one ever. Right. Well, yeah. we might have to make it a weekend social club. What exactly is Nerma, and how did the idea of Nerma come about? Steve set it up. Steve did the Elvis show, and that was very much a precursor to what Nerma was about. And Steve also mentioned how he joined, uh, you know, the band that I was in, the Blackguards 
And well, we, although we weren't the blackguards yet, we didn't become the blackguards until Steve joined. Once Steve joined, and I don't know if he's even going to remember this as well as I do, but we were only a band for a very short period of time, maybe a month and a half, two months. And Steve comes down one day and says, we're going to do an Elvis show and uh, we got to learn these 40 songs in two weeks and we'll just go live and do it. And the guitar player started laughing out loud. I like that's not it was not in our guitar players um, mental capacity to even understand that that would be possible. And Steve was like, why? We're just going to do it. It's, it's, it's easy. Long story short, we ended up not doing that Elvis show. So that's a long story that I won't tell. It was enough to basically set us up for this idea of doing thematic stuff. And then it was, now that Steve's in the band, we we're, we're maybe running together for about a year or so. And Steve had this idea that we would do an entire album and we would bring in guest singers for the album. Now that was, what's the band, Steve? I forget the name. Um, uh, we did the Rockpile album. We did Second I'm sorry, Rockpile. I was going to say, you know, Nick Lowe and Dave Edmonds. So we did the entire Rock Pile album um, in one show, and every song had a different singer. And it seemed like a, an ambitious thing to do. It was reasonably well attended. But what we didn't know at the time was that we planted a seed at that point. That So as the band, our band, began to disintegrate, maybe that's the wrong word, but we were we just weren't into playing as much as we were. We were trying to get out of the commitment of playing every weekend, me and the guitar player especially, that all of a sudden it seemed like this idea of doing something around, you know, our group doing something imaginative might be a better idea. Like I said, we were, I got into this band again, and um, even though that was around what, around two, thousand something like 20 yeah, 20, odd, 20 odd years ago 20 odd years ago we were still we were still even at that time getting older and uh <laughs> and uh, as you know for bar band and because we were a bar band you know and, and and if you've been in the business like you know we have like i said playing since i was 15 uh, the, the scene as far as working in a bar in, on long island i'm thinking probably anywhere it never changed you got you're not getting paid any more than you ever did you know um there was it seemed to be that people becoming increasingly less or entertained by live musicians like you became more of a more and more just like almost a distraction and, and it was getting and you know it still had us you know every gig you're playing in the bar on a friday night you know you're starting at uh, you know 10 30 10 you know 11 o'clock you know i would turn to a conversation with some friends and they said you're, oh, you're in a band i said yeah yeah i play in a band come down and see us we're playing friday night well, when do you start? I go, okay, 10, 30, 11 o'clock, and their, their eyes would glaze over, and they say, you know, they're thinking, no, no we're, the kid, we're, in, we're in bed by then, Steve. And, and we had gotten very um, friendly with this um, other band, the Hornets. Well, I'm sure you, you know, Bill, a rockabilly band. We were doing sure. a lot of gigs with them. And, um, and Russ Seeger was also hanging around. So, I don't know, it was one night at Tom's house. Uh, we were all hanging there, and... You know, we were saying that uh, we're done with this. We need to kind of flip the script on this. You know, all the stuff that we didn't like about playing. Because we still loved to play. But there was a lot that we didn't like. You know, the 
the club owners, the, the, the starting late, not being able to do what we wanted to do and all that stuff. And uh, we said we need to create our own scene, basically. And it was a great concept, but like I always say, it's one thing to have a, a, a really dumb idea, but it's a great thing when you got a couple of people that say, yeah, let's, let's do it. <laughs> and we were fortunate that, uh, so first thing we need a place to play. And Tom's father we, was involved in, at the time in this uh, American Legion Hall in Plainview. That, you know, they were, they were, they didn't have too many things scheduled. So we had, a, all of a sudden, Rough we had a, tumble. yeah, we had a room though that we could go in, set it up the way we want, when we wanted to, decide what we were going to charge. They had a bar, a little bar. And then also, you know, kind of need a, a, a home base. And Tom, again, had a practice space in the house and we had this core group of musicians and like Tom said the idea did come around in the very beginning to maybe build a theme and at first it was more of an album we thought we'd be doing like either just albums or um, maybe an artist focusing on an artist and uh, originally what we were going to do was so the Blackridge would play a set Russ would play a set uh, the Hornets would play a set and then we'd all get together at the end of the night and do this little theme piece. It was like a learning curve. We realized, you know, oh, that's too much. And, you know, and then we, but we did apply the Elvis show idea of having the different singers. And that worked from the very beginning, building up the crowd, you know. And it was very unique because um, one of the things that I did learn along the way about the Elvis show thing was that you can't just, you have to make it a wide net. And as a matter of fact, somebody who wasn't a performer by nature would end up having, you know, three times as many people come to see him or her sing because they couldn't believe they were doing it, you know, so they would show up. But we started out doing this, and I think in the beginning, we, we thought we were going to do this once a month. Again, learning curve. Crazy. We did. <laughs> yeah. we, no, we didn't think we did it once yeah. a month for about a half a year. Yeah. It was the hardest, like, six months of my life. It was crazy. But eventually, things started to iron itself out. We lost the concept of doing the opening sets. Um, we got a little more adventurous with the ideas of, um, of the themes. themes. And uh, along the way, and this is super important, and this is, you know, although Nurmer started out as this little clique of musicians, Along the way, it developed into a true collective of people that we knew we could go to, that understood it, understood what we were doing, were open to it. And again, Bill, you know this, you know, from your experience and what you do, musicians, uh, they're a tough bunch, <laughs> a lot of egos. And in order for this to work, it had to be, we had to find just, just the right people I mean, we needed, I'm not going to say ego-free, because everybody has ego, but we needed people who just understood what we were doing, that the concept was, yeah, to make good music, have fun, you know, um, work our asses off, do a show, throw it out the door, <laughs> and then move on to the next one. Move on. Move on, yeah. Well, you, cer you, you certainly, the, the concept has evolved, and it, and it works great. I mean, every show I've been to, I believe has been a sellout. Like they're always packed. And I walk out of there and all everybody talks about is well. It was great. So 
you've certainly evolved into a well-oiled machine. Any idea how many shows you've done? Putting a number on is hard. There's a list, I think, online somewhere, but I'd say it's got to be... Uh, In the movie, you, you listed every one of them, but yeah, close it looks like there was about... 30 something yeah that's what i was going to say how do you pick so each of each one has a theme how do you pick that who what's the process for deciding what the oh. next norma show is going to be that's really the last enough. one I'll to draw you. blood it ends up being meetings between you know me steve and gary and <laughs> steve and i immediately make gary wish he didn't show up yeah. and then steve and i basically freak out all night long until we eventually come to some sort of a, an agreement or yeah. or not yeah, a learning curve again. In the beginning, we thought, hey, we have to be democratic about this and open it to the wider, the group, these people. And then we quickly realized that, no, that's not going to work. No, no. no. <laughs> too, it's yeah. not going to work. Too, you know? too many chiefs, not enough Indians, right? So it worked. Yeah, so, that worked for about six. It didn't work for six months, and then we fixed it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, right. it, you know, some of the concepts, you know, come pretty easily. You know, but that's only one step of the process because then we have to hammer out the song selection. You know, whether regardless right. of what the concept is, there's always more songs that we could possibly play in one show. And then becomes the concept of pairing the songs with the singers. And well, uh, that was that was that was one of the things I wanted to talk about. I mean, there's a plethora of talented Long Island musicians who have been part of this. I think that there was a Times article in 2015 about you guys that said 250 musicians have participated over the, which, which I believe. Yeah. I think you have, I think you have 38 in the in the duet show. So we're going to take a uh, quick break here, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about Nerma and how they figure out who the heck's playing on what song, and we'll see it after the break. Are you ready for the ultimate podcasting adventure? The Long Island Sound Podcast offers you not one, but two ways to engage with our captivating content. Tune in to our audio podcast on your favorite platform and let your imagination paint vivid pictures of Long Island stories. Or if you're craving a visual feast, catch our video podcast on Spotify and on the Long Island Sound YouTube channel. Double the options, double the excitement. We're back here with Steve Prisco, Tom Ryan, uh, the brain trust behind Nerma. And uh, we were talking about the number of musicians that have participated in Nerma. And I mentioned that I counted 38 that are going to be in your duet show. What is the process you go through? No, I, no I, I'm pretty sure I counted. Well, 38-ish then, we can say. But um, so how do you decide... Which musicians are going to be part of which show? Who's going to be the house band? Uh, that type of thing. What's what's the process? And then I want to get more specifically into the duet show that you're coming up. But I'd just like to talk in general about the process first. I've kind of settled in over the years now to a core group of, of the band, the backing band musicians. If you look over the years, you'll see that it's remained fairly consistent and we bring in a, a few people uh you know we it's, it's not like we don't want to have new blood but um we're just blessed with some super talented uh, people who um like i said uh get it they can handle you know basically whatever we throw at them so that kind of uh makes it a lot easier um 
like we've gotten to the point now, like, and this is a new thing for the new show, where we have three completely different backing bands, so so like three ten song sets. So um, and that gives everybody a chance to play because that's the other thing everybody wants to play <laughs> once they get in. And and uh, with singers, that's okay because they come up for a song. But as you can imagine, you can't, you know, a drummer can't, uh, not, it's not going to feel super comfortable just sitting down at a kit that the other guy just set up and all that kind of stuff. And a guitar player right. wants its own sound. So that, uh, that uh, as far as the show, you know, we don't want those kind of distractions in the show. So we've been lucky in that respect on that end. Well, you know, I've, I've been in a couple bands and it's so hard just to get four four band members to agree on what night and what time to get together and rehearse. Okay. How do you gather all these musicians together and get the rehearsals done? It must be like herding cats almost. I mean, it's crazy. That, that term comes up a lot, but I'll tell you one of the, one of the things that help us in that respect is that our rehearsals are a lot of fun. I mean, uh, it's, that's the social group. You know the social that was, that comes into play there, because uh, Tom and Heidi uh, are uh, gracious and and generous. And uh, one of the things that Tom didn't mention about Heidi, she's also a fantastic cook. And we so the bands come. We there's always food. Uh, uh, there's a social environment because you have you only have a certain amount of people you know playing at any one time, one singer, and everybody sure. else is hanging out, you know, upstairs having a good time. And it's, uh, you know, so that people kind of look forward to the rehearsals. It's, you know, you can breeze in and breeze out if you're a singer. You know, the bands, uh, you know, they have become friends. That's the other thing. We have launched, um, we've launched bands, Norma. People oh, who didn't many. know each other beforehand have now met each other and now play together all the time. They've formed other, you know, uh, groups. Um, I, I don't know if we've had any, um, you know, uh, we've, uh, we have multiple uh, multi-generations, you know, uh, coming through. Yeah, and actually that that's one of the things I want to talk about. Um, before we talk about that, uh, let, first let me say uh, the next event is, it's called it's takes, uh, It Takes Two, An Evening of Duets. It's Friday, November 3rd at the American Legion Hall, 1 Mildam Road in Huntington at 8 p.m. It's a Friday night show. Uh, I suggest everybody go get your tickets early. Let, let's play, let's take a minute and let's play uh, a song by Andrew and Cole Fortier, uh, A Long Way Home. Let's take a break and play that song. Take the long way home Cause you're the 
joke of the neighborhood Why should you care if you're feeling good Take the long way home Take the long way home
Coulter. Thank you. Thank you. Terry Day, Annie Mark. Dr. Dan Weymouth on the organ over there, keyboard. We just heard uh, Andrew and Cole Fortier doing The Long Way Home. What show was that from? That was from, Do you remember? I believe, the 1979 show. We did. We had a series of shows that we did that were battles of the bands. We called them Ultimate Battles of the Bands. And in fact, for a couple of them, at the, when we were working at the Bolton Center, we actually had both bands on stage next to each other. And we went song for song. And uh, we yeah. did a... 66 or 65 1965 USA versus England we did a um, 75 was it I can't remember or 79 it was um, old school versus new wave and I believe that's where this show this show came from this song and didn't from. you do an AM versus FM as we well we did we did AM versus yeah, FM yeah, too. that was a fun one yeah but but anyway that, that was a father son team um, and there seems to be a lot of families involved in the Nerma thing. There's also the father-daughter team of Howard Silverman and his daughter Jenna, mm -hmm. a husband-wife team, Annie Mark, Chris James. Mm -hmm. I think you have three siblings, Alan and Tom Santoriello and their sister Anna Corona, uh, and Gary and Brett Dawson. That's another father-son team. Uh, Jim and Mary. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Jim, uh, Jim and Mary. Are, are uh -huh. they in this show? No, they had to bow out. They had a scheduling issue. We should mention Eunice Dawson as well, since she does all of our artwork for okay. at least so, so years now. So you, you got a lot of family involved in this. You, you want to speak to that and how Nerma, you know, you, I've heard you guys say Nerma is a group, but it seems more like Nerma is a family. That's 100% that's true. Um, again, I, I, you know, when I, I, I can uh, reveal this to you because... <clears throat> you're part of the family is that <laughs> we only have one rule in how you become a, a member of Nerma and our one rule is uh, unbreakable and it's no assholes <laughs> 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 and, and I, that's a and good I, life rule in general it, it is a good life rule it but, works but the truth of the matter is like um, you know how we all have um, we all have our, our you know how it is you settle on, on a group of friends you know in life and these are people that, you know, that gravitate to you because you kind of enjoy the same things. You enjoy the same, you know, kind of uh, way of doing things. And you know that's, that these people can be counted on to, you know, have your back and, um, and just make whatever you're doing together pleasurable. And that's kind of the layer that Nurma has, too. And then we apply that. And like a lot of these people, you know, I don't hang out with. I don't see them, but when we're together, it's that kind of vibe for this, you know? So we feel, you know, uh, uh, there's just this mutual respect, mutual love what we're doing, and uh, they just get the concept. And so, yeah, it is, it does very much feel like a family to the point of when, you know, we got shut down on, on the COVID thing and, uh, you know, eventually came back. It, it was like a big, it was a loss. It was like, a, you know, it was a hole that, you know, all of a sudden we were all feeling. And people sure. would, would write me, are we going to be able to do this again? Is this going to happen again? And, uh, you know, uh, some of the people that we have, as talented as they are, this is their only, it blows my mind, this is their only thing, you know? So it was right. very, right. very important to them. But other people who, you know, have bands that are working all the time, they still wanted, you know, this to be a back too. 
they they've missed it. So, yeah, it it, it is it's it's a very communal, you know, situation, and that has a lot to do with just uh, uh, finding the right people and um, knowing when it's not right. Fortunately, that doesn't happen that often. I'm not going to lie, though. It's happened. (laughs) That's just just life. Well, whenever you get that many people together, there's always bound to be something like that. And I I just want to correct myself from earlier. I said there were 38 musicians involved. There's 38 vocalists. Right. So if you add add the house band, you got 54 people working on this particular show. Yeah. That's that's quite remarkable. Quite, Quite a... A feat of organization. Yeah, we should make um, them pay to show up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think they'll bring enough people. You don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Um, you know, if everybody just brings a couple people, you got a you got a full show there. Yeah, well, the, um, the, the duet's idea was the one that we've been kicking around for a while. It had surfaced because, like, every time we sit down to think of the next show, we have stuff in the bank that we're thinking about. But we felt this one was a good one to come back with because. We want to include as many people as possible. You know, usually, you know, if we mm-hmm. had 30, 30 songs, we'd have just, you know, you know, 30 singers. There are a lot of people that are doing multiple songs, though, along the way. But enable us to get a lot more people into the show. How do you pick the songs for, for this show? What was your... How did you decide which songs to do? Well, after the theme, we both, Tom and I, and uh, sometimes, you know, uh, uh, Gary gets involved in that and... Um, but Tom and I start writing lists. Then we come back, and the first thing we do is look at the things that we matched, that we knew at least okay. That's good. And then, like I said, we usually end up then with a list of songs. Um, that's far too many that we need to play, and then we just fight. It's true. It's true. <laughs> We just fight it out and argue this and argue that. I mean, and, um, you know, along the way, we're trying to configure what the set's going to sound like, how it's going to flow. So you need certain, you know, uh, you need certain elements to that. You know, uh, you want to end strong. You want to have a nice, you know, some, some high points, some like intimate things. And believe it or not, you know, after, you know, and there'll be songs that we both want to do with a passion, you know, that each other go, no, we're not doing it. So it's a little bit of give and take. And eventually, you know, we just throw down the gauntlet, it's concessions and and we end up with the the set. And, you know, usually that's, that's, usually it's, it, it works from then, you know, every once in a while when we get to the rehearsals or in the beginning, we'll say, that's not working out the way we thought it was, but that's very. Oh. Turns out very rare. No, no. <laughs> well, no. let's let's do this. Um, let's take take uh, another song. Uh, Jessica Upham is one of your regular female vocalists. Yeah, mm. you have some outstanding female vocalists. Oh yeah. Uh, and I've been lucky to work with several of them here in my studio. But uh, uh, Jessica's pr- pretty much a regular for you guys. And we have a version of her doing Son of a Preacher Man. Do you want to set this song up and what that was from and tell us a little bit about that? Tom, do you want to? Um, I don't remember what show. Oh, wait, was that the... Uh, what Shoals, show was that from? I think that was the Muscle Shoals, the American Studios. Was that? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. We did like, right, American versus... We did a, a, a show that was based on Southern Recording Studios. And Jessica, since the day she showed up, has been, uh, I don't know, nothing but 
a godsend for us. She's a fabulous singer and a fabulous person, works with everybody, brings zero attitude and 100% talent. So we always try to like find something that's going to make her happy. And I figured doing a Dusty Springfield song, especially that one, would have to work. And boy, does she kick it out of the park. She can, as she does with everything she's done, to be honest. So here's Jessica Upham doing Son of a Preacher Man. Yeah, so that was Jessica Upham singing Son of a Preacher Man. Uh, she's a terrific lead singer. I know she's also a wonderful background singer. I know you have a lot of those. I've often seen the trio of, of Jessica, Michelle Savori, and Annie Mark. Uh, great girl background singers, uh, also all great lead singers. Um, 
So how did you pair up the people who were going to do the duets? Well, you know, sometimes, sometimes it, it almost does itself. I'll hear the song as I'm listening to the song, and I will just envision the, the singer. Other times, you know, I, 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 I like to... I like to challenge people. You know, I might throw something at somebody that they... It seems like it's out of their wheelhouse. Now, I would never embarrass anybody. I would only do that because I truly believe they're going to, um, you know, kill kill a song. Um, and uh, sometimes it, it really, uh, they're not convinced until the moment it happens. Like, um, you know, I, I, we have a song coming up in the duet show where I paired, a, it's a Sam and Dave tune. That I, I and I said I want to flip the script here and have two women sing this song. Oh, and, interesting. And it also wasn't a you know as a song that everybody knows probably more by a, another artist. I'm trying to dance around what the song is. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> but less less. Is, is and, it a big secret what the song is? No, no. It's uh, I can't stand up. You know, so that Elvis, down. that Elvis did. Right. And both right. of the gals, Claudia Jacobs and Mag Stanley, they were apprehensive. They were a little bit apprehensive, you know, uh, and especially uh, 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 they were both much more familiar with the Elvis version, which is, you know, 10 times faster and this and that. Mm -hmm. But I, I walked into rehearsal last night when they were performing this song and it was stunning. <laughs> And I was like, see, I'm a genius. <laughs> <laughs> it was, no, that, was a, that was a great pairing. Yeah. Steve did good. most of the pairings, for maybe all of them, for this show. Um, and a lot of them surprised me. Uh, but I, I, at that point in time, I, I had to pull back because I had other obligations. And it was like, Steve, you got to handle this. And, and I am really happy with the way that it's coming together. And and the things that I would, was shocked about are now coming out to be perfect in terms of like planning. Yeah. And a, a little tie-in to what you were talking about before and the family thing. Now, all these songs, we when we started this concept thing, it, there was a little thing about what actually is a duet, you know? And like, you know, there were things that people that, that were naming that were duos that really don't perform together. You know, I wanted things that where the singers were either singing a full song together or it was a call and response thing that were true duets. But I also had this idea to take a song that wasn't a duet. It's the Cat Stevens song, Father and Son. What? Now he sings it as, you know, he does he's, the two. He's like a duet to himself. Right. Way. So I said, well, let's make this into a true duet and use an actual father and son with Andy Brilliant. and Cole, Cole Fortier. And uh, that's going to be a really special moment in the show. So, Oh, that, that, that's a great idea. Really good idea. But let's, let's again talk about when the event is. It's Friday, November 3rd at the American Legion Hall, 1 Mildam Road in Huntington at 8 p.m. If you're anywhere else that night, you're, you're going to be sorry. It's a, and I understand there should be a scroll across the bottom on where you can get your tickets. Um... Let's see. So you guys have, your, your shows have taken place in a few different venues. Like you said, you started in an American Legion Hall, I guess it was, in Plainview. 
I know you've done the Bolton Center, which I've just read the, uh, I think yesterday, is finally coming back. Yes. Well, that, and that's great news for Long Island. That's, that's They always have some good shows there. Yeah, um, there's a good room. I know you've I know you've done stuff in Tom's backyard. It's uh, a yeah. wonderful place to hold events as well. If you've never been to Tom's backyard, I recommend you crash one of his parties. And uh, <laughs> but you you really have seen you really seem to have found a home at the American Legion Hall in Huntington. They've really seemed to accommodate it. Everything yeah. seemed to come together there. Yeah, we did. The Bolton Center was a lot of fun, and, and it was a treat for you know the musicians. You know, you're on a nice stage. You know, you see the audience, but then I started to hear from uh, our fans, and it turns out they kind of like the bar, the club environment, you know, where they could mingle with their friends, not be in a seat all the time, you know, they could dance over here if they wanted, and the the, um, the Legion in Plainview would, would serve this very well. Um, they struggled, you know, they had a very small bar, um, it, it wasn't, you know, and I think it was through Tom Licamelli and Dave Wise who said, hey, let's check out this place. And we went down there, and as soon as we saw it, we said, oh, this is fantastic. It's got a, almost a perfect space for us to set up and play. They had a great bar area. And then it turned out that they were so open to the concept that they started, um, they put in a sound system that we recommended. Right. They they bought a, you know created a soundboard for us. They laid the cabling. They bought lights. They you know they bought our backdrop from us because I had bought you know the drape and pipe thing. And they said, oh, we'll buy that from you and this and that. So it really turned out to be a really nice partnership. And uh, yeah, and it had become our home base. And now they're um, getting so popular <laughs> as a venue. Hard for us to get in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> was... But but you but you're right though. It, you know part of your name is you know saturday night social club mm -hmm. and doing it there it is it's definitely a social event i love going just to catch up with people i haven't seen in a while yeah. mm -hmm. um and the sound system now is really good it's, it's, yeah. And, yeah and doing and you, you who's doing the sound for this show uh brett brett dawson brett you know, is Ga doing it again because he does yeah yeah he's also playing he is playing bass on one song he is playing bass on okay. one song in this set yeah he doesn't as a sound guy, I got to tell you, he does an amazing job on the sound. And, uh, <laughs> sound guys yeah. never get 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 the uh, the kudos they deserve. He deserves the kudos. So yeah. Um, so if people want to see some of the some of the things you've done in the past, there's stuff on YouTube. I understand, right? A lot of stuff on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel, and I try to get a lot of the videos up there. You know, and um, <clears throat> also uh, when we were wrapping up our basically our ten year. Uh, run or so, uh, and at Tom's, one of Tom's parties, you know, we decided to make a movie. I know it sounds a little, uh, whatever, but we edited together a movie where we kind of told the story, some of the stuff we talked about today, um, showed some of the classic, what we thought were our best moments, and even uh, some things that had never been, you know, uh, put out there. So, you know, and I think it's pretty watchable. I think if you sit in, you know, it's not too it long. It is. It's very watchable. Yeah. You did yeah. a great job putting that yeah. together. Thank you. So fun. fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Um, so maybe it's too early to talk to you. I mean, what, what are the future plans? Do you, you know, have any idea what your next shows are going to be yet, or is that still something you have to? stir the pot and come up with a formula for i don't it's, think we think ahead no 
especially too much. Now. I mean, especially yeah. Let's finish this show. Yeah. I, I, I'm willing to talk about it after you know we've after Friday when we when we okay. when we get this show done. Yeah, it's it's it, not that this was hard. I mean, because uh, it's it, it's always hard. It's always a little difficult. It's a lot of work. It's always hard. Oh, sure but, it is. I imagine it must know, be. Yeah, coming back and um and you know to be honest i'm still you know got my fingers crossed or is it going to work out you know we're going to get the crowds to come back we could get the support i'm feeling pretty good tickets are selling nicely and uh it certainly is possible that we might even sell out so you might want to jump on that and get the tickets but um yeah at this point you know because like i said we're uh, we're you know everybody's <laughs> Getting a little, a little on in years and all that, and makes everything a little more difficult. But it is so much fun, and you just don't want to hang it up, you know. And, sure. Uh, but you know. Well, listen. As, as we get older, I think we appreciate doing things like this more and more. Uh, the music's an important part of all of our lives, mm-hmm. and the Nerma events, as I said earlier, are just a great. Chance to get together with people you've maybe you've played with, maybe you've just hung out with, but you share a common interest in music and the, and the same kind of music, and it's it's always a fun time. And uh, let's again say it takes two: an evening of duets, Friday, November third, at the American Legion Hall, One Mill Dam Road in Huntington, at 8 p.m. I have my tickets. I hope you're getting yours. I understand there should be a scroll across the bottom. Um, so. Why don't we wrap this up? But why don't we go out with、uh, another singer who's going to play that night?、Uh, his name is Jim Tritline.、Um, he did such a night. Well, now, would you know what show that was from? Either of you remember that? Yeah, of course. That was、nice. the last waltz.、Mm-hmm. That、right. was a show that we were not going to do because it was too obvious. Everything that in our minds we wanted to do stuff that was going to be like a little bit left of center. And doing the last waltz seemed like it was like I don't know a, a ripe tomato, and we did it anyway. And I'm very glad that we did. It was awesome. It came out fantastic. The, the last waltzes can never be a ripe tomato. The last waltz is one of the greatest concerts ever. So it was a good choice. Oh、well, yeah, but, that, that,、uh, that's why we、Jim. we were afraid to it. We thought that we should like maybe let that be, but I don't know. We wanted to take. We figured we'd put our little, our, our little imprint on it for fun. Yeah, no, it's always good to put your own t- imprint on it.、Uh, anything else you guys want to close out with before we go? No, just thanks a lot for having us.、Um, you know, yeah, appreciate it. Definitely. Well, well, thank come, you for come to the show. You know, come、thanks. to the show. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you to Steve for letting me be your guest host.、Uh, and let's wrap it up with. Uh, such a night! What a perfect song to end with. Such a night. Such a night. Sweet confusion. Such a night. Now 
Straight line. Somebody buy that man a bud. Thank you for joining us today. I appreciate the time you spent with us. Please subscribe and comment and visit us at gigdestiny.com. Till next time, be generous with your joy, keep your spirits high, and let the music take you on a journey. Be well. Peace. Thank you.